is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The Senate passed a bill to suspend America's debt ceiling until January 2025, allowing the government to resume borrowing money and avoid an imminent sovereign default. America's upper chamber voted 63 to 36 to approve the bill. It is now up to the president, Joe Biden, to sign it into law. The deal, on which both Democrats and Republicans had to make compromises, will cut federal spending by $1.5 trillion over a decade, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Inflation in the Eurozone fell to an annualised rate of 6.1% in May, down from 7% a month earlier. But core inflation, which strips out volatile costs of products including food and fuel, dropped less dramatically to 5.3%, a decrease of just 0.3%. The European Central Bank meets in two weeks and will likely raise interest rates again. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said his country is ready to join NATO at the second meeting of the European political community, a gathering of the continent's leaders, in Moldova. Mr. Zelensky also supported his host's aspirations to join the EU. Earlier, at a meeting of NATO ministers, Jens Stoltenberg, the alliance's secretary-general, said Russia could not veto Ukrainian membership. A court in Senegal found Usman Songpo, an opposition leader, guilty of corrupting youth while acquitting him of charges of rape and of issuing death threats. He faces two years in jail. The trial has sparked violent protests in one of Africa's most stable democracies. Mr Sonko says the accusations are designed to disqualify him from running in the country's 2024 presidential elections. South Africa's foreign minister, Naledi Pandor, deflected questions about whether Vladimir Putin would be arrested if he attended a BRICS summit there in August. The Russian president is wanted for war crimes by the International Criminal Court. Ms. Pandor suggested that South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa, will indicate a, quote, final position. Her comments came as foreign ministers of BRICS countries met ahead of the summit. An Australian civil court ruled that the country's most highly decorated living war hero, Ben Robert Smith, committed war crimes when he was serving in its special forces in Afghanistan. Mr. Robert Smith sued three Australian newspapers for defamation over allegations that he murdered several unarmed civilians. A judge found that four of the six murder allegations were, quote, substantially true. Mr. Robert Smith does not face criminal charges. Nintendo, a Japanese video gaming giant, said it would no longer sell its products online in Russia, blaming the economic outlook. Russian customers will not be able to buy new releases, but can download previously owned items. The makers of Super Mario ceased shipping physical goods to Russia following the invasion of Ukraine. Sony, a rival firm, suspended all operations in March 2022. And figure of the day, $1.3 trillion. The reduction in spending over the next decade attributable to the deal to raise the American government's debt limit. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. 
America continues its long jobs boom. In relative terms, America's labor market may be cooling a little, but in absolute terms, it remains remarkably hot. Data due out on Friday is forecast to show that the economy added about 180,000 jobs in May. That is a mild decline from the 250,000 created in April, but it would mark the 29th straight monthly expansion. America's unemployment rate may have ticked up to 3.5% in May, just above a five-decade record low. The strength of the labor market is testament to the country's resilience in the face of the Federal Reserve's aggressive interest rate increases. The worry for the central bank is whether the robust hiring will feed into big salary increases, thereby undermining its efforts to rein in inflation. There is not much evidence of that yet, with wage growth easing slightly since mid-2022. Still, the longer that America's job market remains ultra-hot, the bigger the risk of it spilling over into broader price pressures. Alphabet's AGM Google's parent company, Alphabet, holds its annual general meeting on Friday. Shareholders have lodged 13 proxy motions. They include a request for more information about how the firm's algorithms work and a plan to change shareholders' voting rights. Currently, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the company's co-founders, hold 12% of the firm's stock control, but 51% of the shareholder votes. The proposal seeks a one-vote-per-share model. Yet activist investors should not expect change. In the past two years, Alphabet has rejected every proxy motion. Instead, the firm's management will highlight its progress in artificial intelligence. The company has been seen as lagging behind its rival Microsoft, which added AI features to its Bing search engine this February. But on May 10th, Alphabet announced some 15 new AI products and features, including software to brush up users' pros and to make music from text. Investors seemed happy. Whether the company can turn the features into profits remains to be seen. Cruising for a Bruising in the South China Sea On Friday, a yacht called the Dolphin is expected to set sail from the western Philippines on a maiden cruise to the nearby Spratly Islands. Aboard will be 20 tourists of various nationalities. The cruise promises a week of good fishing and diving in the South China Sea and, perhaps, the frisson of an encounter with armed and hostile Chinese mariners. That is because the dolphin is bound for waters disputed by China and the Philippines. Their gray zone tussle has the potential to drag America, which is committed to defend the Philippines, into war with China. The state-sanctioned cruise is intended to assert the legal right of the Philippines to exploit the disputed area for economic purposes. China asserts its claims in more muscular fashion. Its Coast Guard or maritime militiacraft scare off intruders by employing violent tactics such as ramming boats or dowsing their crews with hoses. The dolphin will probably go unmolested, but a Philippine Coast Guard vessel will escort the yacht 
just in case. Nepal's Prime Minister Visits India On Friday, Pushpa Kamal Dahal, Nepal's Prime Minister, continues a four-day visit to India, his first trip abroad since he took office last year. Earlier in the trip, he met his Indian counterpart, Narendra Modi. The pair signed agreements on infrastructure investment and trade. They also promised to settle a border dispute through bilateral dialogue. Closer economic ties are good for both countries. Nepal wants India to invest in hydroelectric projects and to lower customs duties to reduce its trade deficit. India is keen to blunt China's influence in the region. Over the years, the two giants have wooed Nepal. India is the country's biggest trading partner, but China pumps in money to help build roads, dams, and railways. America plays an important role, too. Last year, Nepal's parliament approved a $500 million American aid package, angering China. When it comes to geopolitics, Nepal faces a task of Himalayan proportions to keep everybody happy. A Picasso Show by His Detractors About 50 exhibitions this year mark the 50th anniversary of Pablo Picasso's death, but perhaps only one is curated by someone who hates him. I really, really want to stick one up him. Hannah Gadsby recently declared. The Australian comedian, who skewered Picasso's misogyny in Nanette, a stand-up special in 2018, has co-curated It's Pablo-matic, Picasso According to Hannah Gadsby, an exhibition that opens on Friday at the Brooklyn Museum in New York. It was arguably risky to hand the reins to an artist who has dismissed Picasso's innovation of cubism as, quote, a kaleidoscope filter on his cock. Yet the show's other curators insist that the exhibition is really about posing questions that challenge assumptions about Picasso's art and legacy. As Catherine Morris, a senior curator for the museum's feminist art collection, explains, if we wanted to cancel Picasso, we wouldn't be giving him so much space. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Friday which 1980s TV show starred George Pippard and Mr. T? Thursday. Which city in Connacht in the west of Ireland is noted for its art festival and folk music? The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our weekly crossword published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random were Ron George, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Anthony Devezia, Velore, Tamil Nandu, India. Guillermo Garrido, Orlando, Florida, America. They all gave the correct answers of Indiana Jones, Invest, Novel, 
and Senate. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Martha Washington, who was born on this day in 1731. I am only fond of what comes from the heart. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.